everybody, and welcome to the next episode of In It Together. My name is Jeremy Augusta. I'm Brent Gunn. And we have a lot of news, uh, 2020 election stuff, uh, Donald Trump personal lawyer in jail stuff, and some interesting Twitter fan account stuff. Um, so let's jump right into it. I want to start with the biggest stuff, and that is Donald Trump's personal lawyer, uh, Michael Cohen, um, said that Trump directed him to lie to Congress about a proposed real estate project in Moscow. So that is illegal to lie to Congress, uh, first of all. And a lot of people have speculated it would also be illegal to tell someone to lie to Congress, uh, including Donald Trump's attorney general nominee, William Barr, who uh, in a hearing just a few days ago was asked by Senator Amy Kolbachar from Minnesota, uh, a president persuading a person to commit perjury would be obstruction. Is that right? And then Barr said yes. So uh, Donald Trump's attorney general pick has said that Donald Trump is has obstructed justice. And? Um, <laughs> and a whole lot of nothing. Like, yeah. I, I think that even if it comes like to full fruition, you know, we, we can show it right to his face like, hey, you broke the law. But I, I, I think he's kind of just cruising along. I really don't think there's going to be anything that materializes out of this because at the end of the day, he is kind of doing what American presidents do, what other presidents of very powerful countries do. They interfere, they mingle, and they usually get away with it. Sure, it may become like really transparent and it's going to break down like, I guess our quote unquote confidence in like the institution of law and the institution of the FBI and all that stuff. But um, realistically, Trump's going to get away with it because these people are kind of designed to get away with this kind of stuff. I mean, we can shine light on it, but at the end of the day, he's still, I mean, governing with little interference from this, as far as I can tell. I mean, yeah, I, I'm just not expecting anything to materialize from it, but I may be wrong. I think the biggest impact this has, and I'm not saying impeachment is going to come right now. I think in 2020, if like the Democrats are Democrats are currently talking about impeachment even moderate democrats are starting to toss well, they, around they, they've this been idea talking about it since day one yeah but it's an important step now that they're actually saying oh maybe we we should do this they're like before i know nancy pelosi is telling people no we're not going to impeach there's no reason for that we're going to let Mueller do his thing but there are signs that these things are changing the middle american perception of donald trump are, are they though i definitely think they are so people I, who oh man. All right, so, all right, go ahead. Okay, so when I when I think of people who help Donald Trump win, I think of people who call themselves libertarians but are actually somewhat conservative uh saying I voted for Donald Trump because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. And that's why I think Donald Trump won the election. Those people are the ones who are targeted by this, not the 30% that are Donald Trump's base cuz they're going to vote for him. He they like that he does this. But the 10 or so percent of Americans who don't consider themselves Democrats or Republicans are going to say, okay, the this is definitely a bad, like this is as bad as Hillary Clinton's stuff kind of is perception wise. Does that make sense? So I, like, I, I, it makes sense, but I just, I just disagree because the public perception of Hillary Clinton is that she is like, you know, George Soros level evil and she has like child prostitution rings. Does Donald like, Trump not have that? around him he has like that he's like a racist nationalist but i mean even when you look into that he's really like a a ideological like moron he really doesn't yeah. have any like ideological fruit to him and i i don't think that this russia thing is really going to bring any on the fencers anywhere if anything i think it alienates them more from the whole media 
I wouldn't say circus because that's a really overused term, but the media obsession with the Russia collusion thing or the Russia influence thing or, you know, whatever, because at, at, at the end of the day, we're going to realize if, if, if you look through like un, uh, undeclassified FBI documents, we do sketchy shit. Yeah, we that's do kind of stuff thing. that is really messed up. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like within our, our own country, I mean, look at look at Tuskegee. They they infected people with, you know, sexually transmitted disease for yeah, government for experiments. for experiments that happened. I mean, less than a century ago within mm-hmm. our, our history. We need to just accept that as Americans, like this is a byproduct of the system that we've allowed to develop things like intergovernmental interference between these different big foreign powers. Yeah. That's kind of what we'd what we've allowed to happen. And now we're for some reason making it this very transparent process of I, I feel like it's just something to try to pin onto Trump when it's more of like a historical precedent. Tradition. Tradition may be the wrong word, but more of like just a function or, or or a precedent in our governmental system. I can't think of a single president who hasn't had some history that was like, ooh, that's really bad for them. Like Obama had the drone striking thing, and Bush has Iraq. Bush has Iraq. Like every every president has has these this big thing that defines their presidency. Bill Clinton finished on his secretary's dress, um, and Bush came back to public life as this. Dumb artist. He's now a this hero. Guy, yeah, He's this guy like, who will appear on Ellen DeGeneres with some dumb finger painting of a dog he did. Yeah. And people are like, oh, you know what? Uh, any war crime that he may or may not have committed... You know, it, 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 it's a really nice painting of a dog. Look, and he's Trump in the is going to come back in ten years Do you on think whatever so? Ellen DeGeneres show is rebranded. Like, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes and uh, whatever. And I don't then, think then, Trump's going to be alive in ten and then, years. And then he's going to bring up some like etch a sketch he he made to try to impress people. I don't. And think there's going to be there's going to be people on Twitter, big fat fingers. There's going to be liberals that are reaching across the aisle, being like, you know what? I didn't agree with Trump's politics. Oh my God. I really didn't agree with I what he had that to say. Happen. But I'm happy to see, you know, that'll happen if 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 we if we play our cards the, the way that we've been doing. I think that only only Democrats do that to Republicans. I don't see any Republicans exactly, going. That's the point. Man, it's like, why do you man, why do I'm you so, care? Bill Clinton really turned around. <laughs> I've never Steve King is not going to be like, you know what? I really disagreed with uh I don't know, you know Cory Booker on yeah. a number of issues, but you know what? He's it was really cool guy. for him to rush out and grab that coffee. That conversation's not happening. Steve King's worried about why can't I say white supremacist and not get like a weird look? Yeah, that's so, what he's worried about. So, for those of you who are not uh, filled in, Steve King is a representative from Iowa who was complaining that he couldn't use the term white supremacist or um, white nationalism, and people were like, "Hey, that's racist," and he was like, "Is it?" And we're like, yeah, it's pretty racist. And then uh, the vote was Congress voted to denounce white supremacy or something. And the vote was nearly unanimous except for one vote. He voted for the resolution to denounce it. But it was just this disconnect where he didn't understand that saying white nationalism was a rate or being pro like white nationalist was a bad thing. Yeah. So that's yeah. who Steve King is, or at least a very racialized thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it's it's very post-racial to advocate for a white ethno. Post-racial. It's very post-racial to <laughs> Steve King. Very. Oh, uh, he's he really is a, a thinker among us. He really doesn't see race. No, not as at he all. advocates for his white ethno state. Well, he uh, he only sees one race. He's very colorblind. And that's the white race. It's the human race. <laughs> Whatever. Well, yeah. Steve King sees. Uh. So Michael Cohen back on track was also busy. Uh, saying he lied about other stuff, so he paid for polls to be rigged in 2015, 
Uh, but my favorite thing that he did was have Donald Trump pay for a Twitter account called Women for Cohen that talked about how sexy they thought Michael Cohen was. Are you familiar with this? No, but that is just so you like... Give it a... Is, is, is this real? You can, yo, this is 100% real. So Michael Cohen funded a Twitter account. Uh, scroll down. He funded a Twitter account that posted pictures of him with like... Uh, tweets that said, oh, Michael Cohen is so sexy, or yeah. look at how attractive Michael Cohen is, or hashtag hottie, hashtag selfie. This is this is as transparent as, like, the incels getting mad at, like, interracial relationships. Like, this just shows what they're really upset about, or, like, what their insecurity really is. Like, these guys... He just wants women. He, they just want women. They just want attention. They don't want to be the bad guys. They want to be the, the Patrick Batemans of the world. Yeah, which and, they are. But they, they... Well, they are theoretically, but yeah. not physically. And they, they want to be physically as well. My favorite one from at Women for Cohen on Twitter. Look at that stud at Michael Cohen. Great to see you in between two beautiful ladies at Diamond and Silk. Hashtag RNC in Cleveland. So this is at so the some, Republican so, so National. So some young male intern had to write that. I think Michael Cohen wrote this. <laughs> I think he personally wrote these tweets. He wouldn't. I, I hope he wouldn't pay someone to write those tweets. I hope he would just do it himself. I think he paid. He also paid for bots to retweet them, so it looked like people were fans of them. Shouts out Macedonia. Um, that's the Michael Cohen news, and he's going to be in jail for a long time. I'm oh, maybe not a long time. And he's snitching, and you know what that means? Uh, Donald Trump could get impeached. So <laughs> Cohen's going to get some stitches. Cohen's going to get a lot of stitches. Uh, so you. We talked about this last week. I said I didn't actually mind. Um, oh, we're going there. We're going to talk on yeah, that. Yeah, we now. can transition okay, to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said I didn't actually mind Jordan Peterson and yeah, it, it embellish on that. Yeah. I guess I just want to talk about that. So I want to stipulate. Um, I don't want to say love my tolerance of Jordan Peterson and me not minding him. That I've only listened to him on Joe Rogan podcasts and a few of his videos by himself. But it seems to me Jordan Peterson says a lot of things that make a lot of sense and that are like nothing statements. So he should he can say like a lot of young men um, like aren't as physically like they don't they don't exercise as much as they should do and they don't take very good care of themselves as they should. They don't clean their room. There's a lot of young men on the Internet who are not cleaning their room, as he loves to say, and who are neglecting things. And they're mad that women are not giving them attention, even though they're doing all those things. It's like, okay, so it explains to me what you like about Jordan I, Peterson. I like that Jordan Peterson advocates for some sort of personal responsibility. And Jordan Peterson is not one of the guys who's saying you have a right to be mad that women don't like you. He's saying you need to clean up your act. And I think that's the antithesis of the way a lot of people make him out to be. So a lot of people think Jordan Peterson is like sexist or doesn't like women or things like that. But I think a lot of what he says is pretty common sense and just he just says so many things eventually he's going to say something that gets taken out of context. Like there was a profile that somebody did on him where he compared women to lobsters or something like that and it was like this whole big transcript and they pulled something out and made it sound something that it wasn't quite so I don't think Jordan Peterson is a terrible person. Um, I certainly don't watch the videos of him owning SJWs on Facebook. And I certainly don't support any everything that he advocates for. And we're not even close politically. But I I don't mind him. So that, that thing of personal responsibility is, is the thing that really reaches out to you. Yeah, because like that's something that the right and conservatism really advocates for. 
but he like he seems genuine to me when he says it like when he's telling people that they need to take care of themselves i think jordan peterson is legitimately saying you need to take care of yourself before you complain about these things i guess how is that really different from any self-help kind of snake oil well, salesman he, he is who, self-help jordan peterson is definitely right one, that, that, one that, that, of those that's kind of my people. point the thing the thing that i think people they get really um, sold on Jordan Peterson through that cult of personality. And I can speak on that because as a young kid, young, like uh, probably 14 year old atheist, I loved me some Christopher Hitchens. And now looking back on that time in did. my life, I cringe so, so hard. It's a very cringy time. And because I was sold on his way of speaking, I was sold on his authoritative way of dictating information. Or, you know, things that I deem to be, you know, essentially like gospel, ironically. Yeah. But Jordan does the same thing where he'll say something that sounds really uncontroversial in a very uncontroversial but very effective manner. And um, he sells it to you as this kind of common sense thing. And you kind of get wrapped up in that little thesis and you don't look at the reasons of, well, why does he think men need to take personal responsibility and why does he think that? Yeah, women aren't giving it up to you. Well, he thinks that women aren't giving it up to you because of a mass feminization of men in society. And where does that come from? Well, that comes from leftist ideology. That comes from the colleges. That comes from uh, various media influences. That comes from social justice. So for me, taking away that idea of personal responsibility is good because I, I like that too. You know, mm -hmm. I sure, I guess... There's some leftist thinkers that I like who advocate some things like that, but sure, you see it more on the right. I think we should have that on the left, maybe a kind of personal strength, a personal responsibility. I think that people... An individualism almost. Yeah, I feel like people... There's a straw man that exists of leftism that it's that it seeks to destroy the individual and be completely communal. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, I know, I know what you're getting at. And that's a straw man in one sense, but there is also a tan... A, tangent of people that are very anti-individualistic because they have a kind of straw man interpretation of what it means to be individualistic. Mm -hmm. So I think the left could be really individualistic, but I don't look to people like Peterson, a guy who essentially rose to fame from arguing against He's that, like a that, provocateur. Well, he rose to fame arguing against that C-16 bill in Canada because he said that the bill, which was a bill in Canada... Um, seeking to add transgender, non-binary people to the list of people that are protected by you know, anti-discrimination acts. Mm -hmm. So basically, like, let's say you were a trans worker and you went to your boss and said, hey, I'm a trans woman. Can you please refer to me as you know, she or something? And if your employer willfully said, I'm not going to meet you there and we're going to willfully, you know, demean you. And, and what this bill basically said is that that trans individual has a legal protection to say this is discriminatory. And that you're making my existence as a worker more rough than it needs to be. Peterson rose to fame arguing against that, saying that it was an anti-free speech bill and that we were going to run into the problem of if you misgender a trans person nonchalantly or accidentally, you could be charged of a hate crime. Yeah, I want. I want to. So that's. So I want to touch on that. I, and I'm, talk just, I'm just saying he's not the person that I would want to look to for personal responsibility. Okay. I, I understand that, and I I know his political opinions are like that, and I totally 100% disagree with him. And I think a lot of his political opinions are just straight disgusting. But when I said that I don't mind Jordan Peterson, I'm talking about the Jordan Peterson who goes on Joe Rogan and talks about doing DMT 
and uh, like just thinking about things. How how is that different from George Bush going on Ellen DeGeneres to show you a picture of a dog and winning liberals? The different the difference I think is George W. Bush was a president was a president of the United States, and Jordan Peterson is a professor a per- in Canada. He's a person, and there's a lot of people who I have disagreements with. Including my family, who I think a lot of their views are horrible, and I still love them and respect them, and I still can get along with them and like have a normal conversation with them. Metaphor. I don't know how to explain it. So it, it's it's you're you're sold on the romantic uh, image of Peterson that's presented to you in a very romant- in a I don't very want the word romantic way. and Jordan Peterson in the same sentence. But I think him on Joe romanticized is, is different than. Yeah, but, that, but that's, that, that, that's kind of my point, that there's that difference. He brings you in with the difference. But he didn't one commit minute, war crimes. One, all, right, yeah, all right, granted, warranted. <laughs> Good job, cool. Peterson. But uh, um, like this, this is the point. It's like you're going to encounter him on, let's say, Joe Rogan or you know a big YouTuber's channel or something, and they're going to give you this very agreeable, approachable, uh, enjoyable representation of themselves. And then one minute... You're hearing about young men need to take responsibility. They need to know how to treat a woman. There needs to be courtship and chivalry. And you're hearing this like, wow, why is this guy painted as some like horrible uh, like dirtbag? And then you kind of look a little bit more into him and you can understand why some people do have like a very chiseled out problem with it. Now, I'm not saying that every young college activist kid who tries to checkmate him at a public Those are the worst questionnaire. in the world. They are, because the people that try to come to him nine times out of ten are morons yeah. who think that they, because they've seen it now, this video, they're they're an expert and they're going to fight for the uh, the oppressed masses. But, and, um, and that's what led me to give Jordan Peterson a chance in the first place, is, watch, is hearing about those videos and me saying, well, I mean, he has a right to his opinion, let me hear what he has to say. And I can disagree with those opinions, and I can agree with some of them, or I can be entertained by some of them. But explain to you why I continue to see him when he goes on Joe Rogan, and I go, eh, maybe I'll whatever, I'll 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 give him a shot for for this podcast. And I we we mentioned Joe Rogan a lot because he's kind of my inspiration for why I like to do podcasts. Just oh like boy. we can you, talk, we can do a whole episode about Joe Rogan because I'd love rather Joe Rogan. not. What I get, a, I get enough of him. Wow, well, let's transition to a different topic because I'm yeah, I'm yeah, done yeah. talking about Jordan Peterson. Uh, let's. You want to talk about 2020 candidates? Oh God, yeah. All right, I am approaching 2020 with a um, optimistic, optimistic approach. I'm going to tell you why. Never guessed because you think Donald Trump's going to win the presidency. Yeah, because and this is this is why I'm going to approach 2020 in a great way, in the same way that 2016. Watching those 2016 Republican debates was such an enjoyable experience for me. Such a shit show to just crack up with and laugh at mm-hmm. with my friends and just enjoy the absurdity. I'm going to do that with all these Democrats because they're giving me gold. They're giving me just non-speak gold yeah. constantly. And I can't wait to see all six of these idiots or seven or as Can many as, out, as they, I'm going to read out. Yeah. Who, yeah, yeah. Re- read out every single one that's announced right now, because we just had Gillibrand announce on Colbert of all places that she's going to run. But, uh, one of these, uh, figures I really want to talk about is Julian Castro, who I think is, uh, <laughs> he's one of the worst picks we could have possibly that, that any, any Democrat could want up there right now. And, uh, the reason for that, he used to be Obama's head of, a. Uh, um, 
housing and urban development. He was basically Trump's Ben Carson. Mm-hmm. And uh, Castro is, a ba- is basically branding himself as, well, I was in leagues with Obama. I was an Obama guy. I'm going to get us back on track to where we were with Obama. I don't think that's a good way to That is a horrible way to brand yourself because so many millennials now, and I would even say like Generation Y kids, uh, it's in their public conscience that Obama really wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything else that's in their public conscience, that he was really bad on immigration, yeah. that he was a heavy deportation president. I was watching this interview with Castro on Face the Nation, and anytime they would like kind of get towards a topic where he was saying, oh, these corporations, they're not held accountable. And the interviewer would be like, well, do you want to raise taxes on corporations? He'd say, well, we're going to look at new and different ways to do things. But what we're not going to do is just let him get away with, you know, not paying anything. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, what are you going to do about health care? We're going to look into new and different things, you know, like how we had under under you know, former President Obama. But what we're not going to do. And he is he is the uh, the quote change president. He's going to give yeah. you change on a plate that is really just, you know, the entertainment of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just cl- close your eyes and hear him talk anytime. He sounds just like Obama, like he he practiced the, the speeches, he practiced the mannerisms, go through any comment section, anything related to Castro. Everyone is saying how just scripted and stiff he sounds. He's just a little weird, bad pick, bad pick all around. And why is he branding himself as like Obama, I Obama 2.0? I don't think 2. anybody 0. picked him. I think he was like, I'll give it a shot. No, but I, I don't think that he's being like scrutinized. I'm, he's, he's more or less being kind of like he's uh, being brushed off. Brushed off slashed kind of uh, inquisitively embraced. I'm wondering if he he knows he's not going to he's not going to be he's not going to win the Democrat. He's going to drop out of the debate. He's going to drop out. But I'm wondering if his move to do to run for 2020 and to declare so early in a race he knows he can't win and he's going to get outfunded is a way for him to get name recognition for running against Ted Cruz or something like that in Texas. Maybe. That, I mean, that seems like the most likely scenario. Well, I'm happy you bring that up because I was thinking about this on the drive over about the level of opportunism that we're going to see mm-hmm. at this 2020 election, because just today it's like, what, day three of her campaign and uh, Gabbard, Tulsi Gabbard, had to make this like public apology for making these uh, ex comments about gay extremists on campus yeah i'll, and, I'll uh, talk a little bit working about for what a she did agency that was apparently a homophobically operated um, uh, agency. the point was to be homophobic yeah so uh tulsi gabbard a representative from hawaii who's running uh in 2020 has a history of working for a foundation founded by her father that is anti-gay um sought to make uh gay marriage illegal in hawaii uh so in her dad in the 1990s told the magazine homosexuality was not normal, not healthy, uh, morally and scripturally wrong. Um, Gabbard supported her father's views at the time. The New Yorker reported and she advocated against legislation in Hawaii to combat anti-gay bullying. Um, so she was an anti-gay uh, representative until recently. Like this is the first time she's come out as being pro-gay. And I can't help but think that she doesn't actually 
care about this and knows that she has to be pro-gay to win a Democratic nomination. Exactly. I think this is a disqualifier for her. Uh, Yeah, probably by, I mean, Democratic Party standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably. But the big point I was trying to make is that we're going to see these levels of opportunism. We're going to see these candidates that are going to know what to say, what group to appeal to, how to brand themselves, and give you nothing in return. Yeah. Because they understand that, and I'm not trying to be overtly cynical here, but they understand now is prime time for a woman to run against Trump. Mm -hmm. And how can I play up that I'm fighting for the single mothers, like how uh, Gillibrand painted herself. She's like, I'm a young single mom. You're 52. She's 52. You're 52. You're mm-hmm. not a young single mom. Just be what you are. Talk to me about a policy. Talk to me about what you're going to change. Don't just give me these 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 platitudes. And back to Gabbard, I mean, she's going to paint herself like any other Democrat. No one is going to stand on the lines of the LGBTQ. You know, I'm not I'm no one's going to be a stronger ally than I do. She said almost exactly that. And they, Yeah. And they all feel this obligation. It's like they all feel this like weird social obligation in their party to be like almost too pro gay to the point where like as like a person who's not straight, it sometimes comes across as just like it's like, OK, if I was a if I was black and I had this white friend that at every opportunity tries to point <laughs> out like, hey, you know what? It's really cool that you and I are friends because I'm white and you're black and it's really <laughs> cool that we can like break the social lines to like, you know, be friends. Yeah. I, come on. And it's it's so hypocritical as we find out. It's like these people, you need to understand if just because they're telling you what what you want to hear, just because they're giving you woke politics, the the Gillette, mm-hmm. just because it's Gillette, just because they're saying toxic masculinity is bad. I actually really that like doesn't that commercial. Mean that person should be in public office. Mm-hmm. They may be better than Trump, but they still shouldn't have the reins. Okay. Think about that. Yeah. I, I Okay. Let's run through the 2020 Democratic okay. candidates. Okay. Uh, so we have Castro. Uh, Gillibrand, Gabbard, um, Ojeda, Warren, and um, Kamala Harris. Gillibrand is my front runner. Okay. And I think she she is my pick right now for the 2020 Democratic nominee. I have some of her policy pulled up, and I'm going to read it to you, and I'm, I want to know what you think as a as a leftist voter. Oh, boy. What, what do you think about Gillibrand? So, Campaign finance, oh, by the way, this is from PBS. Campaign finance reform, overturn Citizens United, refuse corporate PAC donations. So that's, you're on board right now. That's a thumbs up. Tell me when it goes thumbs down. Hold on, I haven't even put my thumb up yet. Because I, I was looking a bit more into her and uh, there was, oh I yeah, she, she extended the Bush tax cuts. Yeah. Anyway. So Gillibrand is um New York representative, um Democrat. She's like 52, you know. She look, she's like a... Uh, She's been kind of pitched as a young Hillary Clinton, but I think she's different in some she, ways. She, she's a centrist for sure. Yeah. yeah. Create cap and trade commodity market for carbon emissions. I'm not quite sure what that is. Oh, it's just neoliberalizing uh, how we deal with climate change. It's just uh, more. Uh, and then this is where you might thumbs up a little bit. Ban new drilling on federal lands. Ban new drilling everywhere. Okay. Uh, education and childcare. Make public education debt free. Make childcare more affordable and accessible. Are you on the platform? You're on the platform. It's, it's not disagreeable. This is uh, where she's going to lose both of us, I think. Ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Lost the plot. Make background checks universal. Gillibrand, just drop it. Come on, you're a New York liberal centralist. Don't talk about guns. Sexual assault harassment reform handling of sexual assault in the military and on college campuses. Uh, healthcare, move to universal government-run healthcare system within four years. That's just impossible. One thing that I would like to hear more from Democratic 
candidates on this uh, public health care stuff. I want to hear less about we want universal access to health care. Mm-hmm. I want to hear decommodification of health care. That's mm-hmm. what I really want to hear. I want to hear them say, yeah, health care is a right, blah, blah, blah. I want to hear them say the decommodification of health care. We no longer hold the idea of healthcare to this kind of market standard. We're going to completely remove the profit incentive. Okay, well, I don't think you're going to get it's, that. It's, 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 it's not going to get it from Gillibrand or anybody, but I'm just saying that that would be food for thought. Yeah. So my point of reading these policies is these are going to be the policies that every single Democrat has going into the 2020 primary. Yeah. These are identical almost to every other candidate. And their job, the candidate's job during these debates is going to be to stand out. Yeah, exactly. Which is going to be hard to do when every other candidate has almost the exact same policy opinions as you do. Where are they going to draw the line between them and the others? And I think it's going to be the same way Donald Trump did in 2016. And that's just to be better on stage and to be better at insulting people. Well, I think that there isn't a candidate on stage right now that is what Trump was in 2016, which he was a person that went up there. And he was different. He was the person that said, no, I'm not going to worry about these like formalities of the party. I'm going to do what I want because I think it's for the best. And it obviously is rooted in nothing. He's just like a giant baby. But um, uh, he. We don't have someone on the Democratic platform. We have a bunch of people like how you said they're going to be saying the exact same thing, just parroting each other. The only real uh distinctive thing that's going to be brought up is, well, who's going to be the better progressive or who's going to be the more progressive candidate? And to that, it, it, it's like, you know, which fingernail is going to be slightly longer than the others? I mean, it's we don't have very progressive candidates on stage. Maybe uh, Warren is one of the more so, but even her, she's very tame by, I think, what most people want out of a progressive candidate. And I if, if you get Bernie up there, I don't know if he most would surely be a challenge. A progressive candidate. Well, we talked last week about Bernie being the most popular politician in America but right now. People don't. I think that about his policy. I don't think. Uh, I I fully disagree. I think, I think they know that, he's liberal, but I don't think. I, I think I think that because I think that the conversation about national health care right now mm-hmm. primarily has to do with Bernie. Definitely. The, the, the big conversation right now about wealth disparity and wealth uh, income inequality and wealth disparity, poverty because of Bernie. I think that the main conversation about getting money out of politics is because of Bernie. All of those platforms that you just heard Gillibrand jump on, Bernie's been jumping on him. And I'm not like a Bernie or bust guy, but Bernie would be essential You're wearing a Bernie on that shirt stage. right now. I'm not wearing a Bernie. <laughs> I'm going to wear uh, mine next week. Um, he would be essential on that stage. But since we don't have that, we're not going to have anybody that challenges the candidates. I mean, remember how we challenged Clinton? Clinton was like, oh, now I'm going to support these. Th- I'm going to try to pivot. I think somebody's not going to be a pivot. They're just going to be people that are giving agreeable ideas in a these, uncharismatic these people way. People are too smart to do that. No, they're not. They're I think dumber. They're these, dumber than you give them credit th- for. These these people have been in government their entire lives and they have a ton of experience and they know how to get what they want. And I don't think all of them are just going to stand on stage and nod with each other. I think we're going to see a ton of infighting and debating between these people. And I think after the first debate, there's going to be a lot of a lot of space for them to disagree with each other. I don't know where that is. I think we're going to quickly find out the policies that they're going to disagree with that they disagree on with each other and those are going to extrapolate the differences and we're going to quickly see a front runner and we're going to see people like Castro and like Ojeda drop out. I think Ojeda will last longer than Castro. Maybe. I don't know. Will Ojeda even be at I, the debate? Because that's not set in stone. I think Ojeda could potentially be on the ballot 
but he wouldn't Whoa. win. I think he could potentially be on the ballot, but he wouldn't win. That's crazy. I don't think. He'll. I think that if he loses, he would probably run as an independent. I could very well I see him. I hope he doesn't him. do that. Well, I, I'm just saying I could very well see him being that type of figure. I'm not yeah. saying I want him to be, but I could see him being that type of figure. Yeah. But um, like how, how we talked about Gillibrand again. When she announced her running for presidency on the Colbert show, I mean, me commenting on that, it speaks for itself. And the audience reaction was just so awkward. And I, I could just imagine in my head, like the applause lights in the studio probably went on to try to get it. Cause like at first she's like, I'm running for president. And there's like, yeah, yeah. Then it gets, then it gets really loud. I'm like, Ugh, it was a please clap moment. This was shot me. like that show takes place in New York. Right. So this was her home crowd. Right. She should have had a bigger these applause are, than that. These are people that want to willfully watch the Colbert show live mm-hmm. in person in 2019. They should be just cracking up left and right i think they kind of already they should knew. be wild animals in i there. think the reason that there oh, wasn't a pause is people go oh we knew well of course yeah right there's a ton of people running and gillibrand has his name's been out in front but i i feel like those fights that we may potentially see i'm just anticipating them to be really flaccid shallow expressions of quote-unquote rage or anger or resistance mm-hmm. or whatever because you know we were promised that during the trump years we were going to get this Strong resistance to Trump. We're going to get, you know, we're, we're, we're going to stand against him in front. You know, he's closed down the government for nearly a month now because of mm-hmm. the wall. It seems like he's kind of just doing not whatever he wants, but he's surely not being resisted. And I, I don't think that anyone on that stage represents anything that any of the Americans that would potentially vote for a Democrat really want. I think that Bernie could get up there and win a lot of people or a person that's just like him could get up there. But you can't get these zombie liberals that just want to rip what he says and then sell it to you because you're going to have a bunch of public apologies coming out because Gillibrand, she was for those Bush tax cuts. And now she's talking about these corporations that take so much. It's it, it, it's straight up hypocrisy. Same thing with Gabbard. It's just hypocrisy. And they're going to fall one by one. They're going to eat themselves whole. Trump's going to win it. But I'm, but I'm going to be laughing the whole time. I'm going to watch those debates just cracking amazing. up. Amazing. I'm going to have to reinstall Twitter on my phone when uh, when those go live. It's going to be a while before the first debates, right? We got a long time oh, we got before a Iowa. We got a minute. Yeah. I got I got time to start drinking again. <laughs> well, you got time to stock up on alcohol, dude. We should do. I won't be 21. Never mind. Uh, false alarm. <laughs> a drunk live stream reacting. <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, so do we want to move across the pond to France? Yeah, well, we can talk about France real quick. I just want to briefly touch on it just because I don't know if any listeners out there are really aware of what's going on in Europe and more kind of international politics. Um, and I'm by no means an expert, but Macron, uh, the French the president, current French president, is not very well liked in France. And, uh, you know, he beat out Le Pen, Marie Le Pen, who was the candidate for the uh, she was uh, National um, Front. I believe. The, yeah, Nash, she was Le Pen was the Donald Trump of the French election. Macron's approval ratings are in the toilet. Twenty nine percent. Yeah, he's really not like percent. And basically what he's recently done is uh, he's come to the French people with this idea of an open debate because there's these. Large-scale protests happening in France right now, the Yellow Jacket protests, I'm sure you've heard of them. But what they're arguing is that um, some governmental policies under Macron seem to go counterintuitive to what the French people want. Um, He recently imposed a fuel tax to try to incentivize against citizens uh, 
driving automobiles to cut down on carbon emissions. And the response from the French people is, why are the citizens being penalized with a tax when you should identify that the large-scale problem for climate change is corporations? Yeah. It's, it's, it's corporations. To blame people for driving cars, which is, I mean, kind of a necessity in most parts of the world if mm-hmm. you want a job. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is completely misguided. And to them, it feels like another uh, elitist stab from these people saying, oh, we're, we're going to listen to you. We're, we're going to have a, a very democratic system. I was just listening to some interviews from some Yellow Vest uh, protesters and organizers. And when they were asked about, you know, what do you think of Macron? He's trying to come to you with this open dialogue and this open debate where basically he recorded himself talking to the French people saying, come to me with what taxes are bad, what regulations are bad, what things about my government are bad, and we'll we'll see if we can fix it. But what is what that that isn't a thing. Exactly. Like because Donald Trump can't go tell me what to do. And he, he can say, oh, I listen to the people and we're doing whatever. Like some guy told me to lower this tax. So I, I did. You're welcome. Right. Right. So um, obviously a lot of the yellow jacket protesters and most French people are just saying, uh, I believe the term that a lot Resign. of them were, were, were using was window dressing. It's a oh, red herring. Yeah. It's it's you know, you're giving this illusion of democracy because he was quoted saying that democracy is this public exchange of ideas mm-hmm. and even if we disagree or if we don't like each other, at least we can hear each other out. That is not democracy. That is how to maybe have a nice conversation with people. That's not democracy. Democracy is when you have people being liberated to organize their their systems of government through self-governance to determine their economic futures themselves. Yeah. That is democracy. Equally. Yeah. Which yeah. is also an important yeah. part. It's worth saying Macron is not a liberal. No, he's a he, very, very centrist figure. He, he looks centrist because he was up against Le Pen, but by every sense of the word, he's right. He he would be a Republican. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like in, in, in American standards, but I'm saying in Europe standards, yes. in French standards, yeah. uh, you know, he's essentially a centrist figure. But in France, they also have, you know, a communist party, prouder communist parties yeah. and a pr- prouder you know, leftist force than mm-hmm. we do in America. But anyway. The Yellow Jacket protesters are essentially calling bullshit on this. Yeah, and they're rightfully saying, so. Yeah, and rightfully so. And uh, the reason why I want to bring this all up is that um, I think that it's a really good trend to maybe bring over to how we deal with protests in America. Uh, they keep talking about violence happening at these protests. The violence is proprietarian, which is kind of the case in most uh, riots here. That I mean, not riots, but protests that we see here. People talk about oh, there was mass violence, there was violence at the protests, uh, a window was broken, a piece of property was damaged. Somebody flipped a car. Yeah, someone flipped a car, someone burned a, a tree, someone broke something. The stop sign fell down. Maybe not burn a tree, that's actually pretty bad, don't yeah, burn that, a tree. Yeah, that's the worst thing we mentioned but, um, <laughs> in that list. But these are all really proprietarian concerns with the idea of violence, whereas those yellow vest protesters, they're saying the violence is this taxation that you're putting upon people that are already... Dealing with with stagnant economic conditions. Maybe I I wouldn't use the word oppressed. I feel like it's a word that gets kind of misused and sometimes overused. But there are definitely people that are saying that this isn't right. This isn't a fair system. And they're being kind of talked down to and entertained this idea of debate and democracy. And I'm so happy seeing them say, no, this is nonsense. You're not giving us a a real debate. You're not giving us democracy. You're Mm -hmm. giving us window dressing. That level of realism 
needs to come to American politics. Yes, yeah, say to, what you will about I mean, the French. Uh, American protests. Yeah, absolutely. The French know how to protest. There were a For lot. Sure, yeah. A lot of people on on Reddit and Twitter were just posting pictures of guillotines and like France. Here we go again. So having a government. And even even Macron saying, I'll listen to you, tell me what you want, is a thing that just wouldn't happen. I couldn't imagine that happening here. Like having protesting to that power. And we saw this uh, in Spain when Catalonia was trying to become independent, like police officers and firefighters were joining protests to to go against their military. I I don't know why we don't have that here and why our news media is so quick to label superficial damage like breaking a window violent protests yeah it's because we can't reform the functions of our society in spain you brought up spain um they completely outlawed the coal industry Mm -hmm. and what they did for those workers that were part of the coal industries they gave them early retirements or they had these government sanctioned work training programs that you know would get them into a, a somewhat linear field or a similar field That was Spain's government saying, "Okay, we have a function for obtaining capital through the coal industry, but we need to adapt. We need to reform this and change this for the sake of, you know, you could argue their people, their citizens, but greatly the planet, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And in America, we're less open to that idea. We're much less open to the idea of reforming the functions of our society because we can't go away with the coal industry that's part of who it's we are as americans yeah we have a long history of being coal miners I, I, I imagine if we had that about carriages we can't get rid of horse and buggies that's part of america man people have that about cars now i know this is an american thing just refusing to adapt to new ideas and that's why we're a bit slower when it protest. comes to and i think that that's why we're a bit like probably 30 years behind other people when it comes to how we uh engage with trying to change our political uh, realities and mm-hmm. how we deal with protests. I mean, we're living 30 years behind sometimes. We can't just go out there and sloganeer and wear a pink hat. We need to uh, really cynically and critically look at what's going on and what they're telling us, and we need to reject it if we need to. Yeah, and America's always been that way. I watched, we think of the Kent State Massacre now as this horrible thing. I can't believe the government did this. But the videos at the time, and even... Parents of students who were in that riot, I'll call it riot, who were in that conflict, said that they were on the police's side and that it was wrong for the students to do anything like that. So the older generation, I don't want to say the older generations, but Americans have this tendency to not be in favor of protests for some reason. Well, a lot of that, I would argue, goes to a lot of anti Union propaganda, a lot of of Cold War era propaganda, this idea of, you know, collective bargaining is going to ruin the workplace. The unions destroyed the, 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 the job market. The unions didn't send factories to overseas. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say that. And the unions lost the ability to bargain. The unions are one of the big reasons why those protests in France are so organized and strong. There's a lot stronger union representation in those more uh, North European countries. Absolutely. Uh, Let's go to England now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that next. So there's been more Brexit news. If you don't know what Brexit is. British exit. it It means British exit. And England wants to leave the European Union, which is a body of European nations that tie them financially, um... 
law-wise, trade-wise, things like that. But as a citizen in the EU, you do have sovereignty to kind of go across those nation lines freely. Yeah, which is one of the key reasons why England wanted to leave, because England did not want people immigrating from poorer European countries to England. And I, I just want to say something really quick. The reason why I bring up Brexit is usually the liberal or lefty-ish response to Brexit is that it's bad. Uh, that was my response? Because um, of those those reasons that we talked about. Because the entire campaign around it was fueled around this anti-immigrant, anti-refugee uh, rhetoric. But I will say theoretically, the idea of the EU, we could go without it. And when we look at countries like Ireland advocating for a purely independent Ireland, like that, that's more of the argument that the Irish Republicans want. Those mm-hmm. are the Irish left. Yeah. Um, that's kind of congruent with what we see at those yellow vest protests. They want an independent France. I think that's a common trend in Europe's it's, left it's right now. It's populism, is that, regardless of left or right. Yeah, yeah. Pop- but, populism and, is paramountly against this. I guess, unison. Even in England, populists were against this. Um, Like, just populism in general is against these transnational, like, agreements, we'll say. Yeah, and I I just wanted to add that nuance that, like, there's an internationalism that's present in leftism that, you know, we obviously encourage. We don't have this idea that, you know, nations should be islands or confederations or people should be islands to themselves. But at the same time, I think that a much more ideal move to go, which is, I hope, a move that Corbyn would advocate is, you know, an independent Britain, but not rooted in independent in the sense that we're a closed border Britain, mm-hmm. uh, independent in that we're an economically independent Britain. No. That That is a novel idea. So I, I just want to throw that out there that not everyone who is pro uh, uh, Brexit is necessarily coming at it from the opinion that I'm pro Brexit because I want to keep immigration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The development-wise, Theresa May, who is the leader, the prime minister of England, um, has spent over a year putting together a plan for the British exit. That plan lost in British Parliament by a lot. And there was a vote of no confidence brought up by Corbyn on her, which she passed, Yeah, A vote of of no confidence is um, if you lose, you lose your spot. And your party, or no, that sparks a general election, correct? Right. right. So England would have had a general election had she um, lost her vote of no confidence. She did not. She's still the prime minister. Which I believe if they had had that vote, um, Corbyn would have been brought up as um, a potential new prime minister, the leader of labor. Yes. Yeah, so which that would have probably completely ended Brexit right there once and for all. Yeah. The if, way, he, if he became prime minister. The way elections work in Britain is individuals don't run for prime minister. Whichever party has the most representation in parliament nominates a prime minister. Right. Right. Um, and if the conservative party, Theresa May's party would have lost, she would have lost that position. And alleged or supposedly Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the labor party would have become the prime minister. He is anti-Brexit, so Brexit would have largely been dead. I think Brexit is largely dead now. I think this was Theresa May's best plan. It was her only shot at getting some sort of agreement. Uh, Because now the the European Union knows that England has no way of leaving in like a tangible way. Like They need to hit a self-destruct button to get out, and that's the only way Theresa May could possibly do it. Basically, um, Theresa May, dancing queen... Uh, Dancing Queen. I am so happy to see this just blow up in her face. Yeah, she sucks. Uh, the, the 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 Tories, man. 
they they finally get this. They want this Brexit. They want it, and they they get it. All right, here here you get a year to make a plan. Where's your plan? Get your plan. Doesn't pass. It's just I I sometimes the fear surrounding like conservatives getting into power. Sometimes like by all means you shouldn't want conservatives in power, but uh, sometimes <laughs> oh like, I can't wait for the Facebook comments. <laughs> sometimes sometimes they are just really uh, harmless in how. Their competence in, She's in, totally in how and how just disorganized and sometimes tone deaf they can be and how to implement their dream policies. To be to elaborate on her a little bit more, she was anti-Brexit during the last election. She was staunchly anti-Brexit, and they weren't going to hold a general election. They weren't even going to discuss it. Uh, never mind. We're going to have a general election. It's going to be rushed real quick, and we're going to vote on it. And then we're going to have a referendum yep. uh, with low turnout, and we're going to leave the EU. But but we're not. We're actually. They're, the point is, they're yeah. not going to leave the EU. It's never going to happen. I, I, I'm skeptical if that will ever happen. If it does happen, it'll probably be through like a really soft measure. We're not going to have some like Good Friday level signing of of, of any kind of yeah. like you know peace happening. My, That's not happening. What I think is most likely is that there's just going to be a piece of paper that says England's not in the EU anymore, and everything else is going to stay the same. Like it's gonna be a symbolic Brexit, and nothing's gonna really change. England, because of Northern Ireland, shares a border with Ireland, and right now, people who live on the island of Ireland have free movement. Yeah, and the British government has said there will not be a hard border between Northern Ireland and the rest of Ireland. Yeah, and that's and that that's because of the the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah, so that right there is a sign that. Brexit was just never meant to be, and it was never really thought out. Well, yeah, I had to write a paper in my uh, Europe since 1945 class about how the troubles and how the Good Friday Agreement was drafted to try to you know end the troubles, and it did end the troubles, um, and uh, how Brexit would potentially kind of jeopardize the peace that we saw in Ireland, mm-hmm. you know, between the, the 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 Northern, which were the Unionists, and the Southern, which were the Republicans mm-hmm. in, in Ireland. I like Irish. I, IRA history and stuff like that, but uh, I really like uh, English history, and I like hedging my bets on which parts of England become independent first. So, like, if there's a lot of talk, if Brexit happened, then Scotland would leave England and then try and join the EU, probably, which would be hilarious. Because uh, I, I think that uh, currently the the idea of being uh, independent from the EU while the EU still exists. Mm-hmm doesn't really make much sense whereas if there was like a willful kind of dis disembowelment of the eu <laughs> and all of them said hey we're all just going to become independent sovereign nation states uh that ni- nice thing to dream about probably wouldn't happen but it's a lot better than you know closing off every country because they don't want refugees to come in i mean that's much more ideal i think we have funder fundamental different opinions of the eu and whereas like i think the eu is really cool and I wish that I lived in a place that let me travel to all these different countries in England, and I wish I had that opportunity. You seem to have a different take on it. I just have a skepticism on grand neoliberalism, and the EU is, you know, indicative of that. Dude, what's wrong that? with grand neoliberalism? That's my uh, favorite. Ask, ask Yemen. Oh, uh, I don't want to talk about Yemen right now. Exactly. We're, we're Neoliberals never that, do. That'll be a big downer. <laughs> oh my! I want that on a shirt. Actually, ne- neoliberals never want to talk about Yemen. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I'd wear it all the time. Bernie Sanders would would sell that shirt. Yeah, I, I I don't think I could call Bernie a neoliberal as much. He's he's just kind of like a dem social. No, he's definitely not a, a so, neoliberal, a which is why bro. he would wear that shirt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he'd, he'd wear it to be a 
Hunchback Troll. Hulk, Hunchback Troll of the Senate. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, have a good day. Thank you.